With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Mack Weldon, quality essentials for men. Take 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com when you enter the promo code MissionLog at checkout. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 335, The Adversary. Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. The mission of Mission Log is to watch Star Trek, to analyze Star Trek, and to talk about Star Trek. Does the episode hold up? What message is it trying to impart? Does it stand the test of time? This week, The Adversary, the one where Cisco gets promoted to captain. <laughs> what a pip. Also, there's a shapeshifter trying to ruin everything. Like, seriously, start a war, ruin everything. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first! But first! I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. John, there is a misconception out there that I do not enjoy trivia. There's a misconception wow. out there that I don't, and I know it's one that we propagated throughout the throughout the years of doing sure. this show. It's a bit. It's a thing we do. It, it's a bit. Yeah. yeah. And, and some. And I. I feel bad if somebody sends an email and they don't get the bit because I don't want to be the guy who has to explain a bit to anybody. Well, I'm doing it right now. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, trivia was John's bag. That was the thing when we started this show. I remember actually Rod's like, "So who's going to edit?" And I'm like, "I got that." <laughs> because that's mm-hmm. what I did and do yep. and whatever. And uh, and you're like, uh, I'll do trivia. And I thought, great. But out loud, <laughs> I said, <laughs> because, you know, it's a bit. And so, uh, so at least this one time, let me just say, while I will be doing something else while you do trivia, I, I will at least be listening with half an ear. Oh, that that is uh, a Christmas miracle. Well, it's heartfelt, John. It's hard. It comes yes. from... Uh, that uh, comes from somewhere. Well, whatever. <laughs> Trivia for this episode, The Adversary, or The Adversary. The episode was written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, two guys who need no introduction because they are deeply entrenched in the D- DS9 writing and production staff. Now, fun fact here, uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf did indeed have the Kazenti in mind when he named the Zikethi. Did I get that right? Uh, well, first of all, Gesundheit. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Second, uh, Zenkethi. Zenkethi or Zenkethi? Because I've heard it so many ways. But anyway, this is not a direct copy. He he just thought the Zenkethi would be reptilian. Uh, but he really liked the slaver weapon, of course, uh, from the animated series. And he liked the names. So this is little, uh, his little tribute there. Now, you may be asking yourself, Wait a second, we're at the end of a season of Star Trek. Isn't that the rule now, ever since uh, TNG, that we get a cliffhanger at the end of the season? Well, the writers wanted that. Uh, Rene Echeverria, in fact, had an idea about how the founders had already made their way to Earth, uh, so we would have actually spent time there. We would have met Cisco's dad, gone to his restaurant, but Paramount, for some unexplained reason, said no to a cliffhanger. 
Maybe they were hedging their bets. Maybe they weren't planning on renewing. Who knows? But with one week to go before pre-production was to start on this final episode of season three, a new script had to be prepared. One that kept the elements that they liked, something about changelings, something about paranoia. So they whipped this one together in a week in order to close out the season. Now, this episode was directed by Alexander Singer. He, of course, has been with Trek since 1992 when he directed Relics on TNG. Handful of episodes on TNG, a handful of episodes here on DS9, then 10 more on Voyager. He, of course, directed so many cool shows uh, with episodes of Mission Impossible, The Monkees, The Man from Uncle, Lost in Space. Star Trek is the wrap-up of his directing career. Hey, a new prop makes its TV debut here, the new phaser rifle. Now, our friend Jim Martin designed it, and it was, in fact, the very last of his design work to go on Star Trek. Uh, He, of course, moved on to do feature films. Right around this time, he was working on The Phantom. So that is his last contribution to Star Trek in the design world. He did give this prop a detail that had been missing for so long, a trigger. Yeah, if you look at a lot of the uh, hand props, the phasers, they didn't have triggers on them. And it was uh, supposedly kind of difficult for the actors. They didn't have an action to do. They just sort of pointed the prop in the general direction (laughs) that the beam would go. But this time you actually have an action for the actors to do a trigger. Who would have thought? Uh, Let's talk about some practical and some uh, optical effects here. Well, you have some practical effects in this episode, like those glowing fiber optic cables Done on the cheap, well, not dirt cheap, but uh, at least done visually where you could contrast that with all the morphing effects on the changeling. So you have all this uh, uh, stuff that's infiltrating the system of the Defiant, and they literally just took fiber optic cables. And I love this, that they used a color wheel, just a simple color wheel like you might see on a 1950s Christmas tree to give that glowing and and kind of uh, uh, pulsing effect in those lights. But then, on the other hand, you have these very complex morphing effects uh, that they actually ended up doing more for this episode than they had done at all previously on DS9. It was very complicated, not only because it's expensive to do those effects, but you have to choreograph the actors around what the effects will be in post. So even at the end of the season, they had officially wrapped. They'd sent everybody else home. But our two changeling actors and the crew, and at least the special effects crew, had to stick around to keep shooting the final and the effects versions of that fight scene to hand off to post-production. Now, we also have a new set here, a new engineering set, which was very expensive. And uh, not only very expensive, it's a set that is not easily converted into anything else. So basically for this episode, they bought themselves a new standing set, which is uh, not exactly the kind of thing you do at the end of a TV season. What you do is you do something like that at the beginning of the season so you can amortize the huge cost over the rest of that season. But, hey, they found the budget to do it, and it is indeed a glorious set. Now, let's talk about guest stars really quickly. Of course, we say welcome back to Kenneth Marshall as Michael Eddington. And, uh, hey, we meet a Bolian who is definitely not a barber, though maybe he wishes he was, or maybe he was one in his, uh, you know, in his youth. He is played by Jeff Austin. Now, Jeff has the usual complement of TV guest roles and actually a lot of features under his belt, too, like uh, L.A. Confidential, Rocky IV, Armageddon, and others. He will show up on Star Trek again. He's got a guest spot in an upcoming episode of Voyager. Now, we also meet Admiral Krajinsky, or do we? Krajinsky is played by Lawrence Pressman, who we met once before when he was playing the Cardassian Gamor on the episode Second Skin. He was well-known to TV audiences at the time of this episode for playing Dr. Canfield on Doogie Howser, M.D. Of course, his career goes way beyond that, with features that range from 9 to 5 to American Pie to Shaft, the original with Richard Roundtree, and TV appearances like Mad Men, Boston Legal, and all the way back to Hawaii Five O and the Bob Newhart Show. We will see Lawrence back again as Gamor in later DS9. Yeah.
The guys seem to be having trouble today. Perhaps they should try this speech exercise. The Zen Kathy was keen for Kazenti that was lean. All together now. The Zen Kathy was keen for Kazenti that was lean. The Zen Kathy was keen for Kazenti that was lean. Very good. Prologue. Benjamin Sisko is recording his final commander's log. Not because he's leaving, because he is being promoted to captain. It's congratulations all around, including from Ambassador Krajensky. The ambassador has to confide, though, he's not here for Sisko's promotion. He's here because of a problem with the Zenkethi. Reports of a coup on the Zenkethi homeworld. While the old government won't be missed, they're not sure who's in control now. Starfleet wants to remind the Zenkethi that it will protect Federation colonies on the border of Zenkethi space. Sisko is to take the Defiant that way. Show the flag, if you will. Heck, Ambassador Krajensky will even come along to observe. And to check out the Defiant. Speaking of which, O'Brien is beefing up the Defiant systems. He wants to make sure that if the Zenkethi give them trouble, they'll be ready. And that unexplained, unidentified noise O'Brien hears while he's working? Nah, it's probably nothing. Act 1. Cassidy Yates is still on Benjamin's mind, though that could just be because she's on Dax's mind. Dax really wants those two to get together. This conversation interrupted by their arrival at the Defiant. Senior staff's all there, plus Ambassador Krajensky and Commander Eddington. Systems go, lights green... And it's off to the Zenkethi border. Working away in a Jeffrey's tube, O'Brien hears another unexplained noise. This one's explained, though. It's Julian Bashir. He was... Connecting a thing to another thing. He wanted to put his engineering extension courses to work, and besides, he knows O'Brien is busy. Not too busy to check Bashir's work. When the doctor's gone, O'Brien checks the thing Julian was connecting to the other thing far as he can tell, it looks good. Elsewhere, Captain Sisko has orders for Commander Eddington. If push comes to shove with the Zinkethi, Eddington is to escort Ambassador Krajensky off the bridge, keep him out of harm's way, and out of everyone's way. Eddington agrees, says he wishes he was captain, then he goes to do non-captainy things. Twelve hours from the Zinkethi border, it's bad news from one of the border colonies. They are being attacked. At least, they were. Communications break off. Can't be reestablished. Odo says, they're gone. Act 2. Unable to reestablish contact with the colony, Sisko says he must assume that the Federation is at war with the Zinkethi. They'll keep heading that way, though, and let Starfleet know what's going on. They'll also hail the nearest Federation ship, except... No, they won't. Communication breakdown, though O'Brien says everything should be working fine. When he and Dax check it out, what they find is something O'Brien has never seen. Something mechanical, but that seems to be spreading through the Defiant systems like a parasite, attaching itself to key points. Oh... And protecting itself? Whatever it is, is behind a force field. O'Brien wants to check other command systems, and surprise, not good news. Just as with communications, command, internal sensors, transporter, deflector shields, almost every critical system is being infected, and all are now behind force fields. O'Brien will keep working to get past those, while Cisco tries to figure out how this happened. O'Brien can help a tiny bit there. Whoever brought this stuff aboard placed it after Defiant left DS9. He ran systems checks before they left, and whatever's infecting the ship wasn't there then. There's a saboteur on the Defiant. Dax says it could be any of the 47 people aboard, though O'Brien thinks it might be Julian Bashir. He did catch him connecting a thing to another thing in the Jeffreys tube. Sisko wants to confront the doctor, though Dax has a better idea. Whoever planted whatever it is would have to have been exposed to Tetrion particles. They'll scan everyone. Whoever tests positive for the particles, that's the bad guy. Or gal. 
A few people in and O'Brien, Dax and Cisco are totally surprised when Julian comes up clean. He's bothered by the implication. And no, he was not in a Jeffrey's tube the other day, connecting anything to anything. Next for the scan, Ambassador Krajensky. Though barely has his scan begun when he shapeshifts into a bunch of goo and escapes through the ceiling. There's a second changeling on the Defiant. Act 3. That changeling gets to work quickly. No sooner has it disappeared than the Defiant is cloaked, weapons are primed, and the ship is barreling towards Sinkathy's space. Sisko tasks Odo and Eddington with finding the shapeshifter. Yeah, that's a no-go. I mean, they try, but they fail. It looks like the Dominion is trying to start a war between the Federation and the Zenkethi. Major Kira thinks the Zenkethi are doing a good job of that on their own, though Sisko points out that what they heard from the colony may have been faked by the saboteur Changeling. In fact, this whole mission may have been orchestrated by the Dominion. Ambassador Krajensky may never have even made it to Deep Space Nine. Everything he told them may have been a lie leading them to now, a runaway war machine headed for an unsuspecting target. If they can't stop the ship, they may start a war themselves. Hey, here's more fun. There are 47 people on the Defiant. There are five in this room. As far as anyone knows, anyone else could be the changeling. Time for everyone to be confined to quarters and no one is to be left alone. Paranoia is running a bit high. Eddington would like Odo to take a phaser, though Odo won't have it. No changeling has ever harmed another. He doesn't intend to be the first. And besides, he's never had to fire a phaser. He doesn't intend to start today. This big bundle of foreshadowing interrupted by a call from Chief O'Brien. He needs security and engineering right away. When Eddington and Odo arrive, they find O'Brien tending to an unconscious Dax, apparently knocked out by the changeling. Bashir says she'll likely be out for hours, which means O'Brien will have to regain control of the ship without her help. And if he can't, well, Sisko doesn't want to start a war with the Zinkethi. If it comes to it, they'll have to destroy the Defiant instead. Act 4. Here's the plan. We are using the buddy system. Teams will fan out and shoot up the ship. Phaser rifles have been set to a low enough power to not damage the ship, but totally mess up a changeling. Also, any of us could be a changeling, so everybody, stay with your buddy. And if you see anybody without a buddy, escort them to the brig. Kira's walking around, shooting the ship with some barber. Odo and a sweaty, messy Eddington are doing the same. Odo doesn't sweat, and no, he can't get inside the head of the other changeling. While it makes sense that Odo should be able to think like one of his kind, he confesses to Eddington that he does not understand his people that well. Sisko and some unnamed yellow shirt are knocked around by the changeling, so now they know where it just was. Sisko is in pursuit, though. He's by himself now, so that'll be fun. He stumbles into Kira and the Bullion. They got separated for just a moment, so now they each think the other one is the Changeling. They're joined by Odo and Eddington, each coming from opposite directions, proving that these people really don't understand how the buddy system works. Also, anybody could be the Changeling. Anybody, that is, except for Sisko. He's dripping blood on the floor, and that blood is staying blood. If a changeling was standing there, apparently bleeding, the blood that hit the floor would change back into changeling goo. So, they'll do blood tests. Here's the problem, though. The guy drawing the blood, Dr. Bashir, he's not Bashir. He's the changeling. He palms the sample from Eddington, replacing it with a sample from the changeling, something no one realizes until they see the real Bashir trying to get out of a room in which he's been held captive. The changeling Bashir, who they've been walking around with, escapes into the ceiling as the bridge hails Sisko. The Defiant is entering Zenkathi space. Act 5. Bad news from Kira. They're 12 minutes away from a Zenkathi settlement 
where it's assumed the Defiant will open fire, starting a war between the Federation and the Zenkethi. With 12 minutes to avert disaster, Sisko and Kira set a 10-minute self-destruct on the Defiant. There is a bit of good news. O'Brien thinks he can defeat the force fields set up by the Changeling, though the rest of the ship's force fields will come down as well, maybe even the one around the warp core. His work is not interrupted, but slowed by the arrival of not one, but two Odos. Either one could be the real Odo, though O'Brien says he doesn't have time to play Choose the Changeling. He has a yellow shirt, keep a phaser on both Changeling, and blows the force fields. With the game nearly up, the Ambassador Krajensky Changeling changes back into a sort of Ambassador Krajensky founder, and he and Odo fight. He makes Odo one last offer, link with him, and the two changelings can escape. Instead, as if foretold earlier in the episode, Odo kills the founder. Not before the founder whispers a secret in Odo's ear, though. With control of the ship regained by O'Brien, self-destruct is disabled. Their suspicions are confirmed. There was never a coup in Zenkethi space, no attack on a Federation settlement, the real Ambassador Krajensky has either been kidnapped or killed. No one knows which. And bad news from Odo. He shares with Sisko and the others what the Krajensky changeling told him right before he died. He said, You're too late. We're everywhere. Stay cool. Have a great summer. The end. Wait, wait the, the changeling said have a great summer? Oh, no, no, I was just joking about the fact that this was the end of the season. See, oh, okay, uh, we're, we're it, done. Enjoy your summer and come back for more of this. Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah. By the way, that that's what uh, the real Krajinski was doing. They said that he was on his way for like an extended leave on Risa. Yeah. He's going to be there for like a, like a month or whatever. And you just come back and, and Krajinski's just no good for anybody at that point. I feel like you spoiled it in trivia because I actually wondered, okay, so would he come back and they'd mm -hmm. be like, oh, no, this is the real one. Or would they be like, no, you're a changeling one. But you're saying the the, uh, the actor who plays him comes back as a, as a Cardassian. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, do you, the Cardassian we met before. Yeah, yeah, do you think Krajinski then, do you think he's dead or kidnapped? Um, Doesn't matter, apparently, but I'm just curious what you think. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with dead. Right. I mean, the, the, the founders just don't seem to care. No. You know? They, <laughs> yeah. they don't. You know, they, they care, but not about the things that we care about. Right. Like like people. Yeah, like that, yeah. for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. Man, at the beginning of the episode, with all those people assembled to congratulate Captain Sisko, uh, I'm surprised Lita isn't in there because, I mean, she's best friends with Dax. She hangs out with everybody all the time. Right. You know? Yeah, it's a little surprising. It's a little surprising. Yeah. Um, Chateau Cleon, that's some old champagne because uh, Quark says it's from the year 2303. Um, and this, of course, takes place in like 2370-something. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is some old champagne. Did I tell you about the, the champagne that Rod had that his dad got as a, a gift on the set of Next Gen? It might have been like the end of season one, and they gave him a magnum, like a giant, and maybe more than one. And, and maybe it was a magnum and a Nebuchadnezzar, just like a huge, like something that would serve a hundred or more people. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had kept it for all those years, and then Rod had it after his father passed away. Rod decided to open it up. And I'm telling you, champagne has like um, at the most about a 12 year lifespan. Oh, is that true? Yeah, yeah. from from the from the date of the vintage year. Oh. So like, yeah, if you've got a bottle of uh, you know 2009 Dom Perignon, you pretty much want to go ahead and drink that. Wow. See, because I, I I would have made the same mistake that Rod made of assuming that uh, it got better with age, like nope. wine. Tastes like vinegar. Oh, Tastes nice. Like vinegar. That's great. Yeah. Well, you could cook with it. Oh, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> no? Not even no. that? Really? Don't okay. Don't that at all. Wow. No. That's so sad. That reminds me yeah. of horrible stories from my own past. Oh. <laughs> and you're going to tell them all now. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, I'll save those for uh, for when I'm drinking some 58-year-old champagne, maybe. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, 
Well, uh, first of all, it's a good thing that changelings can not only look exactly like their mark. I mean, Odo's bad at looking like a humanoid, but he's great at looking like a mouse or a rock or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but this guy looks like just like Admiral Krajinsky. He can totally pass. Uh, he can sound like him. And like a like Bashir when he wants to look and sound like him and know enough to just, you know, totally get along. Yeah. OK. Now, here's where I have an issue. So the okay. two Odos are fighting in the engine room, right? Or engineering mm-hmm. or the engine room, whatever, near the warp yeah. core where O'Brien is. And they're like, remember the last time we went kayaking? You had soup or something. Yeah. And then the lamb stew, like, which yum. Yeah. Well, if you like lamb. Yeah. Um, And then the other one's like, yeah, but you forgot your fork. And I'm like, okay, both of those are really like, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Granular. Granular bits of trivia about the last time they did something. Or is O'Brien just walking around going, geez, so you know what happened? I I was kayaking with Odo, who's right over there. I mean, it was just like blabbing the whole thing. Like, oh, we had lambs too. And it was great because everything's great because it's all replicator food. But I forgot my fork. And apparently forgot that I could replicate one. Yeah. So there, there's two things really wrong with that. First of all, if you're in a hollow suite and you're having lunch, you can't forget a fork uh, because <laughs> you, you literally say, can't forget a fork. You literally can't. You're like, hey, computer, make me lunch. Right. Uh, we create a picnic basket and, and it's got, you know, the, the napkin in there right. and the plate and the right. bowl that's holding the food, you know, yep. and the computer's not like, oops, I forgot a fork this time. No, it's already in the recipe. It's already there. Unless Miles O'Brien has his lucky fork that he's got to carry with him, which I don't think he does. See, I was going to say, if you forget a fork and you're just eating with your hands in the uh, in the uh, holo suite, <laughs> uh, you actually have not forgotten something. You have serious neurological issues that need to be addressed yes. by a professional. Yes, exactly. It's, it's yeah. not like you forgot to bring a fork. You forgot fork. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. All right. Now, here's the other problem with that conversation, because he says, yeah, you had the lamb stew. And then the other one says, well, uh, and you forgot your fork. Anybody could have known that about the lamb stew. How? How could anybody have known that? That's what I'm saying. It's because it's O'Brien's a loudmouth. Either that or Odo's a loudmouth. One or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how he can eat that lamb stew. Of course, I don't know how he can eat. <laughs> I'm just a changeling. I don't understand those things. I'm a yeah. dumb changeling who can't ingest. Unlike, uh, unlike uh, Admiral uh, Ambassador, excuse me, Krajinsky, just down in that champagne, that really horrible old champagne. Oh, terrible, terrible yeah. old champagne. Not Maybe replicated. they hold it in suspension, though. Oh, okay. Okay, because because see, right. there's the yeah. thing. Like like uh, 2303 may have been a fantastic year for champagne. So fantastic that people are like, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to put this in the transporter buffer. Oh, just like Scotty. Just like Scotty, exactly. Yeah. We'll put him. Yeah. Yes, we'll put it in the trans. Except we won't lose this one. We'll right. we'll know we're doing this. And uh, I'm sorry, transporter three is no good for anybody because we got some we got some really good wine. Yes. Oh no, the wine you'd want to leave out. Got some really good champagne. Mm-hmm. We're just storing it in that transporter buffer. I, I like that. I, I yeah. like that idea, honestly. Yeah. Uh, when they arrive, or uh, at least when they're on their way, uh, Cisco says, I, I haven't been here since the last Federation Sinkethi War. And being here brings back memories, most of them bad. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? Uh, holy. I, okay. First of all, you're just introducing a whole new thing now. Just a just a new thing. Like we already we already know the central tragedy of Cisco's life, which is you know the Borg killed his wife. He was in this battle, this terrible. And they're like, oh yeah, now let me tell you about that other war that I was in that leaves me with painful scars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm actually wondering. So the Battle of Wolf three five five nine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Zenkathi War. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, uh, Planitia Utopia Shipyards, is that what they're called? Uh, Utopia Planitia, yeah. Utopia Planitia yeah. Shipyards, uh, designing yeah. the Defiant. Yeah. I, I can't tell whether uh, Cisco is Howard Hughes or Forrest Gump. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. he could be Zelig, which oh. would actually work with the whole you know changeling thing, except it wouldn't really work because of the whole changeling thing. Yeah, 
Gosh, that's true. And then he gets an assignment at DS9. Like, if anybody needs a month at Ryza, it's it's Cisco. Yeah. So no, 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 no. Put him on the front. No. Well, okay. it's not really. That's the thing, though. It wasn't the front. See, that's they, he really. Yeah, I don't want to rewrite the show. Yeah. <laughs> but, more than we normally do. As long as we're here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, the the second they found out that that was going to be like a like a like a like a battle place, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot though. He's named the emissary, so they can't really move him. Oh, yeah. Should have been like an honorary commandership or something, and then put somebody because he has been through a lot. Yes, yes, he has. Uh, and by the way, the the important things that we know about the Zenkethi, uh they live on the planet Zenketh. In the Zenketh system, hmm. uh, I'm going to say they probably all live in Zenketh City. They drive a late model Zenketh and they eat Zenketh for breakfast. <laughs> that's that's Star Trek. That's right really there. well. You see, I would yeah, think yeah. that uh, they, the Zenketh would probably eat Kazinti for breakfast. Yeah, they might. Yeah, they might. That, that yeah, might Kazunti, By the oh, way, thank you, yeah. thank you very uh, much. It's a, it's yeah. it's cat, but with a taste of fish. Yes. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. Best deep fried. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned this in the recap. We're, we're going to sweep the ship with phaser fire. <laughs> Yeehaw! Let's just... Right. Go, you guys, you got guns? Let's shoot them. Right. Hey, everybody. get No, no, no. Not not the little ones. Get the big guns. Get the ones that are that are rifles. So yeah. we've, uh, we, we've said it, so it won't break our stuff. Yeah. But don't get in the way. Except for that one moment where uh, it's the second time that uh, the changeling escapes up through a, a ceiling vent or whatever, and you see Cisco fire that way, and this is the gash in the bulkhead yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, here's here's the other thing, and I don't want to. I mean, certainly Jim did fine work on the uh, on the phaser rifle. Mm-hmm. How's this working exactly, though? So you you shoot down a corridor, yeah, and you don't hit anything, right? And that somehow is going to flush out a uh, a changeling who has like turned himself into part of the corridor. No, exactly. Yeah, he's stuck to the wall at that point. Right. Yeah. But 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 so. you're shooting straight past that wall. Yeah. I mean, is yeah. it just supposed to scare him? Is, is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? I got to get out of here. Yeah. That's live fire. Uh, so now, uh, when in doubt, by the way, another Star Trek thing: just set the ship to self destruct, and when in self destruct. Just hope the rest of the crew are on board with your decision. Yeah. Well, you know, what's really interesting to me is normally they say, OK, we've got 10 minutes and then you spend about 25 minutes doing whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they set it for uh, they set the self-destruct for 10 minutes and they called down to O'Brien and the computer's like uh, seven minutes. What? That was like 10 <laughs> seconds. What's- yeah. Yeah. By the way, so- chief, you may want to check the timer on these things when we're done because <laughs> that felt quick. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, and I, I love, he, he's down in engineering. I love how O'Brien says to the ensign, now, give the warp core a wide berth. When it's a, like, dude, you are literally, you're sitting right, you're as close to that thing as I am to my computer right now. Yeah, yeah. That is right behind you. The words warp core breach uh, usually come about three seconds before the ship where they're spoken explode. Yeah. Yeah, or explodes, I guess. Yeah, uh, it is, it is kind of funny. It's, it's, it's his gift for understatement, O'Brien. Yeah, exactly. And, and O'Brien tells that ensign, keep the phaser on both of them. Yeah. Cut to the guy not keeping the phaser on both of them and getting tackled very easily by the, uh, by the changeling. Well, you really can't keep a phaser on both of them, though, can you? He should have called well, you just for somebody gotta, else. I know you he's got to move. He's trying you, to. You gotta, well, yes. Okay, back and forth, back and forth. I get that. But still, probably yeah. it would have been good to. Or just stun them both. Just shoot them both. It's fine yeah, because they'll wake up. Go. It'll be okay. I assume yeah. there's a way to stun them. Although it may take a while to stun the changeling. And then, yeah, while you're busy stunning the one, yeah, the other one's just like, you know, shape of an icicle and then stabbing you. <laughs> I deserve, like, stun them both and you mop them up, put them in a bucket and throw them behind a force field. You're good. You're good. And then let them fight it out. Um, hey, so when the changeling is dying and all that skin is flaking off, we saw that similar makeup effect uh, with Odo before. It was really creepy and really dramatic, you know. Um, does it still use a lot of mental energy to make sure you're forming your changeling clothes around you? Because his skin is flaking off, but, like, he's got clothes, but then those are flaking, too. I'm just wondering. It's like, uh, I'm dying, but but not with the indignity of being naked in front of you, you know? Yeah. 
if you got to go, go in style. Speech exercise number two. Cisco was a reliant captain of the Defiant. All together now. Cisco was a reliant captain of the Defiant. Cisco was a reliant captain of the Defiant. Very good. We'll confront the adversary in a moment, but first a word from Mac Weldon, Modern Men's Essentials. Uh, I'm I'm sporting more Mac Weldon today, John. Some Mac Weldon that people can see, some Mac Weldon that maybe people, I mean, they can see it, but not on me. (laughs) Um, yeah, this is uh, for people who are watching the video, uh, patreon.com slash mission log. Uh, this is my Mac Weldon hoodie, which I've said before is my go-to hoodie um, because it's just so comfortable and it, it's just warm enough, you know, because yeah. I've got one that's like lined. I've got a lined hoodie that I can wear for about an hour when I first wake up or something. And it's like, okay, I got to get out of that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a very comfortable, it's a very stylish thing. And uh, and I think the same can be said of, of just about everything they have. Yeah, uh, that that is no lie. And, and in fact, uh, well, well, Ken, you said it in the intro there. Uh, as a modern man myself who needs essentials, um, I, I just hoping to get to a point where every day of the week I've I've got uh, a different Mack Weldon option to choose from. I, I'm a big fan of their socks and their underwear equally so, uh, though I use them differently. I will say that. Uh, <laughs> As well yeah. you should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have said on uh, on an episode of Mac OS Ken, and I may have said it here as well, what I'm a huge fan of is when you come across a product that you immediately know that what you've got is quality, right? And, uh, and I would say that that is the case for the Mac Weldon product. I am a huge fan of... And it's weird to talk about underwear, I know, but I'm a huge fan of their underwear. All incredibly comfortable, and um, I like the range of colors as well. Uh, I have I have Pinot, I have orange, which is not <laughs> called orange. I believe it's called rust or something like that. Um, the colors are descriptive, uh, but uh, who cares about the descriptiveness of the colors? Um, uh, just the comfort and uh, and the styling uh, makes it well worth it, in my estimation. And can I say really quickly as well, I had a friend of mine one time uh, when I was uh, talking about Mac Weldon. Uh, she is not a man. And she didn't want to hear about modern men's essentials. And I said, but you're married to a guy who might. Yeah. So, I mean, it may sound, you may think that buying underwear for somebody for Christmas or for any holiday or for anything is, you know, something that moms do for kids or something you used to do a long time ago. Listen, you know the guy in your life better than just about anybody. Trust me. This this would be a thing. They may look at it and go, really? But then they'll try them on and go, really? Yeah. Yeah. The, the quality is apparent. And uh, no lie, you and I are both absolutely fans of Mack Weldon products because they, they live up to the hype. And let's face it, life is too short to have bad underwear. <laughs> Mack Weldon aims to make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code MissionLog at checkout. That's Mack Weldon, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, MacWeldon.com. I would be willing to bet that Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Unless you, like me, are already wearing Mack Weldon. If you're not, I do suggest you try them. And you can try them risk-free. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and Mack Weldon will still refund you, no questions asked. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code MissionLog at checkout. And a big thanks to Mack Weldon for sponsoring this week's show. Incredibly exciting uh, that Cisco is finally captain. It is. Yeah. And yet. And, and yet. Uh, yeah. And yet. Uh, I found myself thinking of the term hollow prize uh, in this episode. Not, not a hollow deck. Not a, not, not a hollow suite. No, not a happy hollow day. No, no. a hollow prize. Are you familiar with this phrase? 
I'm not, but I, I, I think I can sort of wrap my head around what it is. So but please, please go ahead. and. Well, the problem that I'm having is I, I tried to look it up and I can't find it. I remember hearing about it on television and a lot of people talked about it, about um, especially for uh, former President Obama when he was elected president of the United States. I don't know if you remember that happened right as we were heading into the Great Recession. Mm. And mm-hmm. and um, uh, the person I saw talking about this phrase on television, uh, and I wish I could remember exactly what it is, but basically the idea was you give somebody a prize and then they would open it and there was really nothing there. Or what was there was actually really bad. And, uh, and uh, the particular um, person that I was talking about was like, yeah, it was like they had given Obama a hollow prize. Look at this. A black man is finally the president of the United States. Uh, right before it's about to tumble into a financial abyss was what we all thought was going to happen at the time. Now, I don't think there's anything having to do with race on that in this episode, but here we have this moment where Cisco is finally going to be named captain. And I think he gets maybe 10 seconds to enjoy that. Right. 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 And, and look, deep space nine is not the, everything's going to be fine star trek but maybe more than 10 seconds yeah yeah um let me give you a little background on this just really quickly in uh terry j erdman's book uh about deep space nine he says that uh i think it was ira who just said to rick berman hey uh we want to make cisco a captain okay do it you know, and part of it was that he and Robert Hewitt Wolf and Renee and everybody else working on the show, they were a little irked that because uh, keep in mind, Voyager had already premiered by now mm-hmm. um, that the press would write about the three captains, Kirk, Picard and Janeway. Right. And they're like, well, wait, what about our guy? What, you know, um, and, and there is an argument to be made that wh- whoever occupies the chair is the captain. But here we're actually talking about the rank of captain and and the the significance of him getting a uh, of him actually getting a promotion getting recognized for his work. So then let me ask you a question is that the reason mm-hmm. that you have Miles O'Brien saying here's to the newest and best captain in Starfleet? I mean is that is that them sort of doing like the uh, hey you know what? Yeah. Yeah. And and keep in mind O'Brien worked for Picard. I know right. I yeah. mean that's the thing. Yeah. That whole that whole thing felt kind of um weird to me. Because, yes, uh, O'Brien did work under Picard, and he has had other captains before. So, I mean, it was an interesting thing. Also, uh, he's been captain for about 45 seconds. I mean, you know, make me captain, and I will not screw something up in 30 seconds, and then maybe I can be the best, too. Yes, yes, yes. It struck me as an interesting assertion from O'Brien, but really what it struck me as, and I'm curious if, if you know anything about this or if you'd agree, it's basically the writers on Deep Space Nine doing what they do, which is kind of saying, hey, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that that line was weird for me, especially because it came from O'Brien. If it had come from Kira, who doesn't know that many captains in Starfleet, <laughs> well, fine. No, it has to know? come from a Starfleet guy, though, especially one who's been around, because if Kira says to the best captain in Starfleet, you know, anybody's going to be like, what do you know about it? Yeah, right. <laughs> but but I did like her moment about, you know, not continuing to challenge him. And he just says, no, it just means I'm always right. I mean, it was a cute little, yeah. little bad. It was totally in character for them. Yes. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, O'Brien has had uh, at least one very bad captain that we know of. Jellico? Uh Well, no, uh, prior to that, it, it was the, the, the guy who, um, oh, he was in the battle with him and uh, uh, and they end up singing, you know, Irish songs together. Yeah, I don't I have no memory of that at all. But yeah, go. No? OK, yeah. Uh, but, but he did serve under Picard and, yeah. and Picard is pretty great. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, that uh, was he's no Cisco. Yeah, yeah. Is it the writers thumbing their nose at Star Trek lore and at, at their, you know, still still sort of bemoaning like, oh, they're the they're, they're the black sheep of the Star Trek family. Right. Uh, or it may be the apparent, you know, ongoing war between uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, whether that war was real or imagined. I mean, maybe they weren't thumbing their nose at anything in the past, although you did also have Eddington saying you don't make captain by wearing gold. 
Yeah. Which right. which is now apparently true in Star Trek, although my immediately I was like, well, unless you're Kirk. <clears throat> yeah. Or or, you know, Pike. The, the whole yeah, of course the whole color thing shifts when you when you get that far up. So I, I get that. But look, you could take a guy like Data who is wearing a gold uniform and make him captain if you wanted to. He has been captain of the Enterprise at some point. You could, you know, you just put him in the chair. Haven't we seen captains in blue? I mean, it's not all it's not sure. all red, is it? No. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so you so, actually can. It's just you, you can. You, yeah. you don't make a good captain, Eddington. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. There you go. Could yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Not you. It's like that meme that goes around. Like you know, all these people uh, can be not you, Captain <laughs> of the Enterprise. <laughs> um, yeah. That's great. I remember yeah. my mom saying, "Most kids can be anything they want to be, Eddington." Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. Right. She always called me Eddington. It was my last name, and Mom always called me Eddington. Now there is a line that uh, that Cisco has her the uh, later when he's talking to Eddington. He says, "I have the assignment I want. I have the crew that I want. The rank doesn't make much difference." And there, I, I, there is a practical truth to that. Um, Cisco is the the top dog at Deep Space Nine. He's the top dog on the Defiant. Yes, you have an ambassador there, but the ambassador doesn't outrank, uh, even if that were the real ambassador, it doesn't outrank uh, the commander of that ship, regardless of the, uh, of the title that he has, regardless of the rank that he's been given. Um, I, you and I had this conversation a long time ago about Deep Space Nine, uh, and right when we were going into Deep Space Nine, and the significance of having a black actor in a lead role on a TV show in the early nineties when there weren't that many great role models who were black men on TV leading a series. Mm -hmm. And this is a significant thing. And it's significant that he has this great son and they have this for the most part, pretty great relationship, even though we've seen moments <laughs> that are questionable. Um, but overall this played extremely well and more than a few people pointed out yeah but he's not a captain and then and now i i have to say that i was a little bit surprised i i understand but i was a little bit surprised that that was a thing simply because in my head i didn't think of cisco as anything less than a captain i i always see that character as the lead guy on this show, the person in charge, the commanding officer. And honestly, when they had the scene of him getting promoted, I had to remind myself, oh, right, he's, he's a commander. If you go by rank, mm -hmm. that's what he is. Uh, but as the, uh, as the great uh, Dallas in the movie Megaforce, directed by Hal Needham in 1981, said, oh, come on, you know there's a big difference between rank and authority. I always saw Cisco as the authority. Yeah, but there's still something to be said for the fact that they didn't make him captain. I mean, yeah. and I mean that like as far as the writers are concerned. I don't. I mean, and I, I'm not going to knock him for it because here's the thing: I don't know anything about like military uh, anything. Basically, I don't know mm -hmm. if you put a captain in charge of a base, or if you put a commander in charge of a base, or if you put a general in charge of a base. I don't know how that whole thing works, so I might be willing to. I mean, I say willing to let it slide. I mean, I I don't have an issue with it either way. Except that every lead before has been captain, right? Yeah. Commander is lower than captain. They go yeah. to, um, it's weird to talk about this now, uh, but go to I Spy. One of the things that was amazing about the television series I Spy was that as far as the viewer knew, uh, uh, Robert Culp and Bill Cosby were, were on the same level. They were both, uh, they were both agents for the agency. I don't think it was ever actually mm -hmm. called the CIA, but they were equals. But when they went out in public, um, uh, the Robert Culp character was the star, and the and the uh, and the Bill Cosby character was the support. He was yeah. his trainer, he was his coach, but he was always the guy who was going to be in the background. He was never going to be the star. Right. Um, I, I understand why people would be upset that Cisco was not 
a captain. No, it doesn't change his character, but it does change. It does change his perception. It's interesting. I honestly did not realize that even while Cisco, even while Avery Brooks was on the show, even while Deep Space Nine was on the air, that people were actually writing articles about the three captains as if he weren't that because yeah. it's yeah. made up. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> For all intents yeah. and purposes, he's captain. It's. I, I, I honestly think it's good that they went ahead and gave him the rank. Uh, I just wish, you know, it hadn't been um, no time to enjoy it, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf said, hey, I, I would have just made him admiral already. Uh, I would have kept promoting him um, uh, based on what? Well, I, I don't think I necessarily agree with that. But eh, admirals yeah. are terrible, so I don't think I would do that. Yeah. Hey, a really quick question. Um, I'm not, I, I will say, having said all that about how he should have been captain a long time ago, I'm not yeah. really sure he's cut out for it because <laughs> because the ambassador who let me check the org chart. Uh, no, mm -hmm. no, that's not a rank. I don't believe in Starfleet nope. Uh, nope. comes in and says, uh, here's your mission. And apparently uh, he didn't even check it with Starfleet before he went on. He didn't even call anybody and be like, so listen, I know you know we're all going off to Zincathi's space, so I want to make sure you know who's in charge while I'm gone. And wouldn't Starfleet then have gone, why are you going to Zincathi's space? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it was because he heard the Zincathi was so good that... Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's Zinti. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Gesundheit. Thank you. Um... Hey, you liked the thing, uh, right? Which thing are we talking about? Uh, John Carpenter's thing. Oh, oh! I thought you meant like uh, from Fantastic Four or the thing we were talking about that we couldn't show. No, <laughs> no I'm talking about the thing. Yeah, I, um, I do like the thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I there it was definitely a, a bit of uh, influence uh, from that movie, 1982. Uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley in, uh, in a scary horror action movie. Um, yeah, I, you know, that, that was something that stuck with me right away as soon as we're trying to figure out who's who. And there's uh, a, basically a monster on the loose in, in an enclosed space. Uh, I immediately thought of that movie and, you know, not surprised to see that the writers had seen that movie, too. <laughs> and we're, we're thinking about that as they were crafting this story. Um, no other comment there other than just to say um, changelings. Uh, look, I know you're not going to because I know I got four more seasons of DS9 to go, but uh, just chill because, you know, come on. I, I, I know that you're hurt. I know that you're lashing out against the universe because you're hurt, uh, that you were wronged in the past. But um, this is all Alpha Quadrant stuff. Totally different side of the galaxy for you. And yet you're lashing out. Like you've been hurt. Just chill. Just, uh, you know, enjoy your new planet. Enjoy the new great link you got somewhere else. It'll be all right. Speech exercise number three. The professor did profess. Progress was a mess. Progress was a thing to do. Something. Something. Progress too. We do not have to repeat that one. The Adversary, John. The show is called The Adversary. I've been calling it The Adversary. Have you really? I was I was actually calling it The Adversary. Oh. Yeah. <sighs> but we progress along. Uh, obviously called The Adversary because there's an adversary on the ship, right? Uh, and I guess yes. you could say like, oh, but we don't know who the adversary is. But it doesn't really matter because we do in the end. And, you know, we get the adversary. And oh, what a time we have. Um, time now to talk about the uh, the episode itself, the messengers, morals, meanings, uh, whether we feel like the episode uh, holds up, whether it stands the test of time. I'm going to jump the gun and say uh, this is our last uh, episode of Mission Log, you and me. Before yeah. uh, you go on to, you know, keep doing mission log and I go off to do something else. And, and I really feel like we, we owe it to people to do another episode of mission log <laughs> uh, with, with an episode that one of us at least likes. Okay. 
<laughs> that's that's fair. Do we? I, I tell you what, you know, you're going to have some free time. Um, <laughs> I'll be so? watching. Well, probably not, but yeah. I, I'll be watching all along and like, and I'll I'll watch one and I'll go. Oh wait, here's one that maybe we both like, <laughs> and I'll give you a call in like two years and say, yeah. hey, check this one out. Let let's talk about this. Yeah, and we'll just slide that one into the feed. That's possible. Sure, we can do that, or we can just go back and watch one that we watched before. And, you know, duet. Like, yeah. I, I, a friend of mine, duet. actually, you know him. Duet. Uh, duet. Uh, uh, a friend of mine just watched that for the first time the other day. And uh, just we, we had a great conversation about that. He was so effusive about how how well written, how well acted, um, all the the metaphors, everything. And I'm like, dude, just just go listen to Mission Log. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. It'd be great, actually, if you had been like, hated it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For no good reason at all. Um, uh, uh, what, what do you get from this episode? Do you want to start with the production part of it? Uh, that's usually what we do. Uh, as a production, does the episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Um, well, I, see, I'm, I'm so ambivalent about this episode because um, I try to approach every episode of Star Trek that we do for Mission Log the way that Roger Ebert would approach a movie mm-hmm. and say, does this live up to the standard it set for itself? Do, does this accomplish what it set out to do? And and if you tell me that this episode just sets out to be a story full of tension about paranoia, I, yeah, yeah. It, it does that in some places. But here's the thing. I also feel like because it's science fiction, because it's Star Trek, We've done this before where you have who's the real one, which one do we kill, and it doesn't feel like new ground for me. So even though it's not new ground, they do build tension in some interesting ways Mm -hmm. in a few of those scenes. But overall, it doesn't really add up. It doesn't really hold up for me. So, look, they, they nail good moments. They ratchet up tension they build the paranoid mood. They And they keep us guessing a bit. And, and I was really pleased with those scenes on the first watch that kept me guessing. So that that was nice. Um, the problem I have with this is what would it have been like in the writer's room if this story were an outside pitch? Now, I understand that they were working against a deadline here, that, that their original plan, they had to scrap. And here it is a week before you go into pre-production and you have to deliver something to your pre-production team so they can like build sets and do makeup and effects visualization and all of that. Um, So they're really, really behind uh, the eight ball. But had somebody written this script as it is on spec, handed into the writer's room, would the writers and producers said, yeah, it's been done before. And and why are we doing a standalone now? And, And what do we learn at the end of all of this. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that they're asking those questions for every episode. Um, so as a standalone that builds some tension, yeah, it, it works. But but then I ask, is that all we got? You know, uh, how many times before, like I said, in science fiction or fantasy, do we follow the story of the double and we have to figure out which one it is? And when you do that, there's not a whole lot of replay value in it. I don't feel like there's a lot to learn from it. Now, they do manage to squeeze in a little intrigue about the changelings, but even that felt tacked on just by doing the last, we're everywhere, it's too late. Okay. So you're setting us up for what could come down the road. Um, and by the way, there is something a little strange about the setup in this story. I love that you pointed out uh, the the fact that um, nobody checks the orders with Starfleet. <laughs> so we really, we have no investment in this and Kathy at all. Mm-hmm. Now, now I realize that it's just a MacGuffin and it, it, it's just an excuse to get everybody on the ship, but it's so far removed from what's going on. And I actually, I think the first time watching it, I actually forgot at one point what the pretense was. that got us all in the defiant. I, I'm just at a certain point, I just kind of zoned out and I was like, wait, where are they going again? Why, why, why are they all together here? You know, because any other episode, you just go like, oh, yeah. And then they forced Quark in here because it's a contractual obligation. <laughs> so we're saying something about trading with the Dominion, whatever. Um, so 
the episode, it's not a mess. It just doesn't really add up to anything significant at the end. It's just figure out who the guy is. That's the guy. We got to kill the guy. Mm -hmm. But if that's all you set out to do, and if it's just an exercise in building tension and suspicion, they achieve that. They definitely do. I, I just don't think I would watch it again because that's literally all I got out of it. So under its own design, it holds up as a piece of Star Trek to get me into the story of DS9. It doesn't. I, it's just it's just a thing that happens and then we're done and then we move on, which I realize as I say, that is also a lot of Star Trek. It's the thing that happens and then we move on. Uh, but but my feel for DS9 is a bit different because there are bigger arcs. There are longer stories here. And the one shred of that that we get is just kind of tacked on at this point. And, and I know that, that there are elements about the changelings that will come back to us down the road. But again, just looking at this episode as it is where we are in the process, and especially because we're at the end of season three, it, it's a bit of a letdown. And you? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm there. Um, mm. Especially because it does mean something to turn Cisco into the captain. That means something. That should mean something. And there should be time to reflect about that. There should be time for the viewers to reflect about that. There should be time for Cisco to reflect about that. There should be, that should be a bigger deal. And that, that's like the two minutes at the beginning of the episode. And then, yeah, the stuff at the end, I mean, you say it's tacked on. I feel like it's been their, their go-to position uh, since the end of season one. No, we're gonna. There's a boogeyman out there called the Dominion. And at the end of uh, season two, there's the whole thing with the Vorta, and uh, oh, there's a boogeyman out there that's gonna get you, and you have no idea how big and bad this is. And they just keep bringing that up every now and then, and it get it's it gets tiring. Uh, get to it already, yeah. or quit talking about it. One or the other. You know what? Spend a season not even mentioning the Dominion, and then find out that we are completely surrounded. They're like the right now. They're a bit like the Romulans, except they do have the Gem Hadar. But I remember you like at the end of uh, season one of Deep Space. No, uh, I'm sorry, of, of TNG. TNG. Mm -hmm. Basically, the Romulans like we're back, right? Yeah, the Dominion do keep doing that every five <laughs> minutes. It keeps yeah. being like, oh, the Dominion. Uh, but you're all going to be fine because you yeah. know you're in the opening credits. So don't worry. But oh, scary, but not really scary. Oh, but dangerous. Yeah not really dangerous for you. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's kind of like, you know, it's the same thing over and over again. Um, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. I mean, first of all, if they hadn't shoehorned uh, making uh, Cisco captain in with this story, this would also probably be a better episode in the middle of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and maybe it's what you were talking about, about, you know, they had expected to do a cliffhanger. Um, we expect something more from a season finale, I think. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, this one just sort of like had this happened in the middle of the season, I think you and I still would have been disappointed, but I don't think we'd have been nearly as disappointed because, you know, well, there's something else happening next week or maybe it's leading to something else or, you know, uh, 26 in a season, they can't all be winners. Right. You expect the 26th or the 25th, whichever it is, to be a winner. And, yeah. uh, and uh, sadly, it wasn't. Now. I will say there was one thing that I liked, and it's not a moral. It's not even in so much a gem, right. but I do I do like the lesson that Kira has to learn in here. It, it was fascinating to me that uh, you know that they say uh, uh, the the Dominion is trying to start a war between the Federation and the Zenkathi, and Kira is like, yeah, the Zenkathi are doing fine with that, and then Cisco's like, we don't know that. Mm. You know, it's mm. easy to. It's easy to get distracted by the thing in front of you. And and you and I sitting here right now, John, see politicians do this all the time right now. Here's the issue, one person will say, and another person will say, well, you're forgetting about this thing. Yeah, right. Well, no, I'm not. I'm actually dealing with this issue. We can talk about that in a moment if that actually ends up being a thing. Or if you want to go talk about that, that's fine. But But there is a... 
I mean, the truth in this episode is they don't know what truth is. Yeah. But Cisco is holding on to the fact that not knowing what truth is, they have to try to figure out what it actually is. Whereas Kira, her knee-jerk reaction is, we don't know what truth is, so I'm going to go chase this thing because that thing might be dangerous too. Right. Um, I kind of like that. That was an interesting moment that resonated with me. Not even close to the point of the episode. Uh, the, <laughs> the point of the episode is to fill 48 minutes and uh, and yep. uh, stay cool and have a great summer. Yeah, and kill the bad guy. Yeah, well, that too. You know? That too. Yeah. Although, wow, you really, you, you just couldn't have even guessed that Odo was going to be the one to hurt the changeling, could what? you? Oh, I thought changelings didn't hurt changelings. Yeah, he thought that. That's that's propaganda crap, by the way. You know <laughs> no, it has to, to be, fair, be, don't you? To be fair, that other changeling was hurting Odo by, by forcing Well, that, no, he uh, was, he was trying lean. to talk to him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At the point of pointy, pointy hands, he was trying to talk to him and, and make Odo understand. Uh, that's, that's, that's probably the best bit of propaganda ever. Changelings walk around going, no changeling has ever heard a changeling. Really? So you're saying that scene, that, that scene was the changeling equivalent of, I'm not yelling, I'm just saying. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't want to, uh-huh. what's, what's Big Boy Caprice's line? I don't want to kill you. Don't make me do it. Yeah, right. All right, well, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for, uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, hey, but uh, great engine room set. Yeah. I, my, my hat is off to them. That is a great set. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and phaser rifles. And that will so. be back, you're saying. As an engine room set, uh, yeah, it, it shockingly it will. Oh, fair it enough. Will. Yeah, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network and all the shows that are a part of the network. There's Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam, Shabam, all that podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Coming up on Mission Log, The Way of the Warrior. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com and from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at K. I theory.com to keep up to date with everything happening with mission log listen to mission log live available where you get podcasts and be sure to visit the show's site missionlogpodcast.com and transmission podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network